When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The T-Biz Podcast delivers a recap of the week's major T-News headlines with commentary and cultural trends hosted by Dan Bolton. T-Biz is the voice of origin for T-professionals and enthusiasts worldwide. Think of us as a digital caravan of storytellers, bringing authentic, authoritative, and exclusive stories to you weekly from the T-Lands. Hello, everyone. Here are this week's headlines. Bulk and specialty tea prices diverge. A tea in 22 forecast. France will pay 1 million euros to certify Ceylon tea. And Sotheby's inaugural tea auctions total 8 million Hong Kong dollars. Don't miss part two of the series Frugal Innovations later in the podcast. More in a minute. But first, this important message. What makes a perfect cup of Ceylon tea? The perfect cup is from the tea businesses that ensure the protection of all the children living within their tea estates. We salute Keilani Valley, Telawakili, Bogawanthalawa, Harana, and Eliptia tea estates. Support Save the Children, Sri Lanka. Tea in 22 is the first of a dozen New Year tea forecasts. The combined annual growth rate predicted for tea in 2022 suggests consumer preferences for health enhancements and premium taste will widen the profitability gap separating bulk CTC from whole leaf and specialty grades. The fortunes of the tea industry are cyclical. Demand in recent decades has been resilient, including during the Great Recession, some would say relentless. During the five years ending 2019, demand grew at around 4.5% per year. The pandemic slowed that pace, but consumption in 2022 will top 6.5 billion kilos, enough to make 3 billion cups a day. Until recently growers managed to quench that thirst. What disrupted that equilibrium in 2020 is that tea output declined for the first time in 20 years. The resulting scarcity in domestic markets, including India and China, boosted prices. ICRA, a division of Moody's Financial Ratings, in October 2020 predicted correctly that the bulk tea segment would report the highest operating profits in recent history. In 2021, the situation reversed as more tea became available and prices declined. Compounding the supply-demand equilibrium is the fact that consumer behavior rapidly changed consumption habits as office drinkers vanished, food service sales plummeted, 
and health and well-being became a daily concern. The result? Better-tasting teas triumphed. Once content with commodity offerings at the office and in restaurants, the pandemic accelerated growth in the residential segment. Sales of botanicals and blends in grocery and online spiked. In Germany, for example, per capita consumption of teas and botanicals increased by an average 2 liters to 70 liters per person per year. Market research firm Technovio writes that, quote, consumption of tea for residential use is significantly growing as consumers are continuously seeking changes in their lifestyles and food habits and experimenting with cuisines and beverages. Moreover, the rising at-home consumption of tea is expected to grow at a steady rate owing to increasing urbanization and the changing eating habits of consumers across the world. End quote. Technavio writes that recent growth rates of 3 to 4.5% per year will accelerate to 6% and greater for the specialty tea market through 2026. The segment will add $5.5 billion in sales from 2021 to 2026, according to Technavio. In contrast, bulk tea is predicted to have a challenging year, according to ICRA and the Associated Chambers of Commerce of India. In a joint report titled Tea Industry at the Crossroad, the Chambers of Commerce predicted that declining prices and increasing energy and labor costs will be a drag on financial performance. ICRA Vice President of Corporate Sector Ratings, Kashik Das, says, quote, players who are focused on producing quality teas are likely to witness a much lower decline this year as average auction prices of teas manufactured from own garden leaves of the top 50 estates in Assam and the Dwarves have witnessed a decline of only 8.5% against a decline of 25% for the overall auction average during the first half of fiscal 2022, quote. In North India, prices during the first half of the fiscal year declined 23% year-over-year, a drop of 60 rupees per kilo on average compared to 2020. Declines are even more severe in the bought leaf segment dominated by smallholders. Averages in that segment fell 77 rupees per kilo on average, down 33% year-over-year. In Kenya, auction prices dropped 8% to $2.18 per kilo in the 12 months ending July 1st. Globally, tea production has now returned to pre-pandemic totals, increasing 13% during the first six months of 2021 as growers in India and Sri Lanka adjusted to the pandemic. Output in 2021 is expected to top 15% in Sri Lanka, and India has so far produced 100 million more kilos of tea than during the same period last year. Output in Kenya declined by 10%, but exports there grew 19%, keeping demand and supply in balance. Business Insight The most notable change in 2022 
is the growing impact of production deficits. The Economist Intelligence Unit first reported T deficits in 2019 and 2020, and now forecasts demand will exceed supply in 2022 and 2023 by 427,000 metric tons. A shortfall of a few hundred thousand metric tons will not lead to shortages in the grocery aisle, but when combined with the cumulative harm from climate change and with food inflation at record levels, disrupting the long-standing equilibrium will certainly firm up prices that have fallen well below the long-term average of $2.85 per kilo. Business Insight Sri Lanka is heading for a fall. Fertilizer banned earlier in the year is now available, but the cost has risen from 1,500 rupees a kilo to 6,600 rupees, about $33 per kilo and rising. A ban on the herbicide glyphosate that was eased in November was reversed in December. Output recovered in 2021, but that recovery is highly unlikely to continue due to ongoing economic problems with widespread protests by farmers over the cost of food and unions pressing for big wage increases. Sri Lanka, where tea is hand-plucked, has the highest cost of production in the world, averaging 269 rupees, about $1.33 per kilo. Legendary auction house Sotheby's concluded its first rare tea and teaware auctions in Hong Kong this week. Sales totaled 4 million Hong Kong dollars for the teas, reserve prices approached 1 million Hong Kong dollars for puer, some aged for more than a century. Teaware, as old as a thousand years, was featured in a parallel auction titled Echoes of Fragrance, Tea Culture from the Tang to the Qing Dynasties. Sales of teaware totaled 4.3 million Hong Kong dollars, about 552,000 U.S., the online catalog included a 1900 Chen Yung Halpware cake and a 1950 Jiajian Blue Label tea that sold for 562,500 Hong Kong dollars, about 72,000 U.S. Bids for a 1937 basket of Sun Yi Shun aged Liang tea opened at 240,000 Hong Kong dollars and sold for 300,000, about 38,000 U.S. A bid of 500,000 Hong Kong dollars is equivalent to about 65,000 U.S. dollars, and while that threshold was met for only the rarest of teas, all but two of the 24 lots were sold. Several of the more recent teas, including a 1985 Snow Label, sold for 112,500 Hong Kong dollars, about 14,000 U.S. The Companion Teaware auction featured 63 lots, including a Jian black glazed bowl dating back 800 years to the Song Dynasty and a rare iron-red crane cup dated to the reign of Emperor Zhishang 
in the 1500s. Tomuku patterns, including a hare's fur that sold for 189,000 Hong Kong dollars and a partridge feather that sold for $403,000. Also purchased were Celadon cups and stands, Yusheng teapots, and a carved Tixi lacquered tea bowl that sold for 529200 Hong Kong dollars, about $70,000 U.S. During the Tang Dynasty, beginning about 1,400 years ago, tea was boiled and served as a soup, along with condiments. Examples from that period include conical tea bowls, unique utensils, tea caddies, and trays. Winning bids range from about 25,000 Hong Kong dollars to $50,000, about 6,000 U.S. And now, a word from our sponsor. Q-Trade understands that a successful tea blend goes beyond the creative fusion of appearance, aroma, and flavor. Our multi-award winning product development team is passionate about converting natural ingredients into sensory experiences that customers crave. Every recipe is formulated with a commercial backbone of dependable quality sourcing with a pricing structure that supports a safe, regulated, profitable, and scalable blend. Q-Trade meets every brand's retail, food service, and e-commerce need. For more information, visit our website QTradeTees.com This week, T-Biz travels to Asheville, North Carolina to meet teaware, potter, and ceramist Mary Cotterman. Mary discusses the artisan spirit and state of mind of those embracing native clay and how COVID-19 lockdowns forced her attention like a monk. And then to Assam, India, to hear part two of the series Frugal Innovation. In this segment, Arvinda Anantharaman explores the application of frugal innovation in the tea garden and factories. Shakib Ahmad of Kolibar Tea Estate explains that, quote, objective data changes the conversation in the factory from vague concepts to threshold and parameters. It makes operations scientific so that we can improve. Mary Cotterman was 12 when she learned to throw clay on a potter's wheel. In the decades since, that wheel never stopped for this accomplished teaware artisan. In 2015, Mary moved to China to learn from the old masters how to make clay pots in the style of Shaozhou Kung Fu, and to speak Mandarin. She next studied at the Mingdo Yuwin Production Studio with a residency at Shan Bao, International Ceramics Village in Zhen, the home of porcelain for 1,700 years. She next spent a year learning from a master in the Beijing school, becoming the first Westerner to throw Sholahu teapots. In 2018, Mary returned to the United States after a long sojourn across Europe. She makes her home in Asheville, North Carolina, where you will find her crafting water jars, pitchers, teacups, 
Samovan Gaiwans and ash glaze Japanese styles Kuisu teapots in a wood fired kiln. By day, she forages for local plants, studies traditional folkways, and earth based practices. Mary, your arrival in Asheville anchors the western end of a bridge that spans Europe and leads to ancient China, where you spent several years learning Kung Fu style pottery and speaking the native language of porcelain and yixing clay. Will you describe for listeners the state of artisan teaware in the U.S.? Teaware in the U.S. is very interesting because it is similar reflection of the amalgamation of all these different tea traditions from throughout the world. Wherever tea goes, it creates its own unique culture based on how the people in the region live. In the U.S., we've got the British teaware, which is what most everybody's familiar with. A lot of U.S. ceramicists make teaware and teapots in that style. I don't make that kind. I specialize in small Chinese teapots. As the tea community gets more educated and broadens, people are bringing in and getting excited about teaware from different places. So Gong Fu Cha, a Chinese tea service, is becoming quite popular in the United States and throughout the world. To me, it's a really lovely experience. But people are getting more and more familiar with pouring tea in this way, which is really exciting to me because it lends an aspect of ritual to people's lives that I think we miss a lot in our quotidian daily lives because we're rushing to and fro. So the Chinese tea service really invokes this sense of process and ritual. I also make Japanese style kyusu pots, which are sort of the low side handled teapots with the big openings because they're typically used for green tea. And so a lot of steam needs to be able to escape the opening and you don't want your pot getting too hot. As people get familiarized with Uh, the different styles of tea and regions from all over the world. They're really starting to collect teaware from all over. On your website, you mentioned that every vessel contains the wisdom you absorb from around the world. How do you see the wisdom manifest in your work? That is a good question. The foundation is functionality. Because for me, no matter how it looks, If I'm making a piece of teaware, it needs to be a precise tool for pouring tea. So a lot of my design, personally, I take uh, from traditional Chinese vessels, but I have learned small techniques and vernacular styles from all over. Um, I've been doing some wood firing recently, which is a really magical process, very labor-intensive. That style of wood ash glaze was uh, is kind of taken to its height in Japan. It's done all over the world, but the particular long firings in very hot kilns for the um, buildup of wood ash to create this really natural glaze is a long-standing Japanese tradition. I think of lineage a lot as insofar as a craftsperson. There's a gift that you're given 
by your teachers, especially with pottery, it's difficult and it's a, it's a steep learning curve and you can practice for many, many, many years and still not be an expert. Will you describe the artisan spirit and state of mind of those embracing native clay to make teapots and teaware in the U.S. and elsewhere? This is a really interesting area of exploration because it is at once new in that we're trying to be more ecologically friendly in our artisan practices. We're trying to be climate conscious in our practices so that we can continue making pottery as humanity always has, but it is also something that is historical. Throughout the world, pottery artisans gather around natural sources of clay. And each source of clay has its own life story. Yixing clay is very touted and it's incredible and it's very good for what it is, but it is not special in its uniqueness. Every native clay has unique properties based on its life story, the mineral composition, and what bacteria is in the soil will affect how it can be worked. So I think the artisan spirit of working with native clay is integral to pottery itself because we are finding that relationship between the earth and us, between the life story of the clay that began on the top of the mountain and degraded down, eroded, rocks eroded over millions of years, added in, plants have their plant material in there that create bacteria, and then it gets deposited in a place where you can go and dig it. And there's many multiple ways you can use this in the process. You can make things out of native clay, and you can also use them as slip or decorating or crush up rocks to use in glaze. It's really all about coming back to the origins while also looking forward to a sustainable practice. Asheville's a thriving community of artists. How has COVID impacted the arts community there in general? and you as a tea artisan. Our studio, which is a big warehouse that's subdivided into different studios, was shut down for a few months. Not being able to get my hands on clay was pretty tough. It's a really deep source of grounding and a spiritual connection to, for me also to have a studio practice. So that part was hard. Once our studio opened back up, in summer of 2020, it was pretty normal. And my sales, thankfully, as a small business, were doing pretty well. I think people were getting stimulus checks in the US. So they were putting those to good use and really super grateful for the tea community that I've mostly haven't met most of you, but you're all online all over the world and really just showed up for the small businesses in the tea community in a really inspiring way. As far as the tea places here, I think I think everyone uh, sort of had to suddenly become more online and uh, do different things like subscription services and you know selling more loose tea. I know for some of the sit down businesses it was quite rough. Everybody's made it to the downhill side intact from the tea businesses that I know. 
personally, as a creative person, it was really nice to have the social pressure taken off because I, I have some social anxiety. And so being social, while I love it and it's very important to me, definitely takes a lot of energy for me. So during COVID, I definitely went into a monk-like creative state because all I was doing was staying at home with my dog and my sweetheart and then sort of meditating for hours on end in the studio, silent, almost nobody else in there. So it was a really lovely time where the whole world slowed down and I could just tune in and listen really deeply to the craft. Innovation is an umbrella term under which any innovation that has low risk and high safety and reliability is included. In India, tea veteran Abhijit Hazarika has been working on these projects with successful pilots in a few partner estates. In part one, we looked at frugal innovation in tea buying and selling. Continuing from there, we look at frugal innovation and its application in the tea garden. Tea planter Shakib Ahmed of Kolyabo Tea Estate in Assam talks about some of these experiments. While Shakib has piloted several projects in the field, it's in the factory, he says, that they've seen the biggest impact. With his data, I have an objective source of attention to detail. Hmm. I don't have to depend on someone who has been working in the tea industry for 40 years hmm. to use his uh, expertise and muscle memory to guide us. Hmm. I have objective data. Hmm. And that really helps me uh, change the conversation in the factory. I'm not talking of vague concepts. I'm talking of numbers. I'm mm. talking, this is the parameter that we want and we have to keep it within this threshold. Okay. And, and there's, So there's that a... really, it makes it scientific. Then what happens, even the youngest boy or girl who's joining as an mm. executive, mm. he or she can pick it up very quickly. Mm. She doesn't have to be there for 20 years. So right. now we have a young lady in one of our factories uh, in Doba Mm. she's running a 12-hour shift by herself and it's just data she has the data she knows that we have to stay within these parameters and the quality is good mm. so it, and she's uh, she's in her 30s uh, so normally guys running uh, factories at that at that level they'll mm. be you know in their late 50s and 60s mm. because you need to have that much experience but if if we can objectify data Mm. We can have younger blood right. come in quickly, and um, the parameter. See, there's more transparency because it was very opaque before as to which who is performing well in your management team, who is not, because it was all objective. Mm. Now I have clear numbers. I'd say this is the parameter I want in the factory. These are the numbers. Keep it within these threshold. You get good tea. Mm. So they are also not operating blind. Mm. I'm not just telling them make good tea. I'm telling them. This machine should be running from this much to this much. We have a sensor that will tell you this uh, process, this manufacturing process will run from this much to this much parameter. You have a method that we have given you to measure it scientific, mm. objectively. Mm. You record it. You record it, share it in our shared platforms. We have, uh, we have it on a cloud-based platform where we share the data and we keep verifying it. And based on that, we can... Uh, it stays within a regimen. So we're not, uh, there are many little things in production mm. where in a way we were operating blind and now we have a certain level of clarity. 
So that really helps us improve. She keeps using temperature meters in the factory. Incidentally, this was developed by a young boy at a cost that Abhijit only will say is laughable. Three machines are ready and one of them is at Shakib's factory. Attention to detail, which was once subjective, has now become scientific and objective. Shakib likens processing tea to cooking and how by tweaking temperatures in the RPM of machines, the quality of tea changes exponentially. These innovations are sensor-based and are already in use in other industries. Shakib reminds me that the color sorters in orthodox tea production were derived from rice sorters. In the course of my conversation with Abhijit, we discuss people, welfare, productivity. And speaking on low productivity, he says it's not because people are shying away from work, but because of the nature of the work. There are times when I have stood in the tea gardens in August in, in, and it is so hot that, you know, I, I, I myself, you know, could not stand more than 45 minutes to an hour before, mm. you know, I felt uh, unwell. Mm. But these people do it day in, day out. So, you know, it's 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 difficult. And, you know, I, I don't think anybody talks about all this. So I sometimes feel that, you know, that that's so much of hype and, uh, you know, about you know, the romance of, uh, mm. you know, women carrying the bags, etc. Mm. How many actually realize what goes on in that place? It's like a furnace in that place. We talk about harvesters too. Most of the harvesting machines, he explains, are handheld machines and they tend to be noisy and heavy to carry. Therefore, men are assigned the machines. Not only is it tiring work, but it's hard to keep one's hands steady with them. This means the quality of the plucking is not going to be very good. Terrain poses another challenge with harvesters, even in Assam's valleys where it's, it is an uneven terrain and this challenge is amplified in the hills. So when Abhijit talks about harvesters but not to increase quantity but as a means to aid quality, he's looking at two major deliverables. One is the quality of the finely plucked leaf should be at least 5x better than what is plucked by current machines and at least 2x better than what has been plucked by hand. Now the second priority on the field is pests. The cost of pest and disease control is huge, especially when there are large areas to monitor, which is the case with estates that run into many hectares. Pests can spread within two to three days, offering a very small window to arrest their spread. An early warning system, says Shakib, can make a difference. However, this seems to be a mammoth task, perhaps the most challenging space to build innovation, because for every pest, a year's worth of data needs to be collected to feed the algorithms. But nowhere in the conversation do we turn to talk about machine as replacing people, but it's always about utilizing labor effectively to increase output and with better quality. Because ultimately, it comes down to the perennial problem of oversupply and reduced demand, and the mad scramble for markets. Indian tea producers do not make to order, but make to stock, and the priority is to sell. The circle that begins with variability in quality of tea closes with variability in price realization. A made-to-order will bring other advantages, as it's collaborative, and brings both technical and technological inputs as part of the process. I think the tea, tea industry supply chain is completely out of sync with the way you know modern supply chains work. Okay, uh, there is no concept of made to order, or very they will say that you know the forward contracts are made to order. I beg to disagree because you know. When you say that, you know, I will take a tea from you, you will say I will take a tea of a particular quality from you, okay? Mm. And that guy, you know, guy who's making it is in many cases not even aware of what you want. You mm. know? So, you know, so because a bit of variability here and there, you have the ability to reject, 
Okay, so without uh, specifications from the quality buyers, I don't think made to order is there. Right, so that's my take. And, mm. You know, people will disagree, which is fine. Okay, but I think one of the most important things of made to order is to leverage the most unique aspects of a estate or a factory that has consumer value, right? So every uh, garden, you know, every garden or every factory will have something which is unique, you know, to a particular to a particular market or to a particular set of consumers. Right. Like, for example, somebody might make very good, uh, you know, make good uh, color, okay, mm. which is ideal to a certain blend mm. in Maharashtra or, you know, to Gujarat or somebody make very good, you know, uh, aftertaste, you know, what the Gujaratis call as mithapan, you know, mm. naturally sweet, mm. okay, which comes basically from the from the area that, that comes in and very good quality manufacture. So on this, we are able to actually, you know, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, treat every garden as unique and not as a commodity. Well, this is a familiar story of not treating tea as a commodity. Abhijit offers a roadmap of sorts that's possible because of frugal innovation. Once you have the quality specifications, a producer can do real-time monitoring during manufacturing. All the resources are then focused on producing only what meets the specs. This in turn optimizes the cost of production and increases the likelihood of the customer buying it because it's made to their specifications. This turns the focus to buyers because ultimately the change has to begin with them. If the large tea buyers are procuring, say, 1,000 million kilos of tea a year, assuming an average estate produces 1 million kilos of tea, that's 1,400 estates that can cater to a single buyer, and change can begin with one single buyer. This too is seen in action. Saurav talks about how he's piloting the make-to-order model. He's partnered with a buyer who's agreed to buy his tea at a higher-than-average price, and in return, Saurav assures him of quality, which is achieved by managing the parameters while processing in the factory. Consistency, which is ensured by recording data such as temperature and moisture levels. Safety, which is being done by educating growers on chemical usage and monitoring it. There may not be certifications here, but data is being recorded digitally and is being analyzed. And for those who have wondered the alternative to expensive certifications, this may well be it because the proof is there for anyone to see. Shakib talks about how the conversations are changing and becoming more specific. It's helping him build a young team who are learning, who are not averse to technology, and who are razor-focused on quality. Innovation, he says, is no longer just for multinationals, but for everyone. The larger outcome is more significant because frugal innovation will change the way the industry is run. It will no longer be about waiting for an executive to invest 30-40 years in the factory to be relied upon to run it. It can bring effective processes into play in a way that someone young can be trained early on. And this is important in a state like Assam where migration is extremely high and the intellectually able who leave don't return. The work on frugal innovation is made possible by harnessing experience, a wide network and an active collaboration with academia and industry. Support and partnerships have already come from major tea buyers. The possibilities where tech can play are vast and both Shakib and Saurav see it as a way forward. Come in with an open mind, advises Shiki, but needs a willingness to try piloting the various options. And because it's been designed to be frugal innovation, it's affordable even by small growers and small gardens. Saurav confesses that he didn't buy into it readily, but the potential to earn a better price for the tea he was making was a strong pull. All it took was a month before he could start seeing that it was working, and he's since been advocating it. For an industry that's been grappling with multiple challenges, Frugal innovation is a low-risk and impactful option. 
spearheaded by an industry veteran. For every successful experiment, there are many that fail, but these two are essential to the process that begins with the question, what if? Intrigued by what you heard in today's podcast? Would you like to learn more from our global network of T-Biz journalists and tea experts Remember to visit the T-Biz website for more comprehensive coverage. That's www.t-bizbiz.com. Thanks for listening. Farewell till next week. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.